because he lives, we can face tomorrow no matter what goes on in our lives. Um, our trust and faith is upon the finished work of the cross of Christ and not upon our merit, not upon our work, not upon what we can accomplish. For we contributed nothing. It's all the work of Christ. And for that we say amen. So let us go directly into the word of God because I know you guys are hungry for the word. And uh, to those who are present, God bless you. To those who are virtual, God bless you. And to those who will hear this later, may the Lord continue blessing you. Uh, so we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you want to follow along with me, we're going to be looking at specifically verse 9 this morning. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And uh, the title for today is A Peculiar People. Again, A Peculiar People. And uh, before that, let us go to the Lord in prayer uh, to have the Spirit guide us as always. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before your throne once again thanking you. As millions and millions of people gather this morning, uh, they've already gathered some of them and some will continue gathering throughout the day just to worship and to exalt your name, to remember the, the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. Father, we ask you that you can help us magnify that in our own lives and that you can help us understand the value, the richness, Lord, of, of what it means to know you, what it means to have everlasting life, what it means to have assurance, what it means to be saved by the wrath, Lord. I pray that you can give us understanding, Lord, that we have been saved from so much harm, so much things, and it is because of your son's death on the cross and the resurrection of your son. We pray, Father, that you can guide us and that your spirit will guide our teaching, Lord, and that you will be the teacher as you always are and that we will be nourished by your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to pick up from verse 1 to get context, and I hope you follow along with your Bibles and, um, and uh, allow the Spirit to teach you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, and coming to Him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, as we begin to look at this, it is important to note that the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know, the finished work of the cross and the victory of the empty tomb brings to life everything that we read in the Holy Scriptures. You know, every time we read, that we listen, we meditate, we delight in them, you know, we must remember it is the work of the crucified and risen Savior that gives meaning to every text of Scripture. You know, everything we read in Scripture finds its way to Christ and the gospel. It's not a message if we don't get to Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not a real teaching if we don't 
talk about Christ. And that has to do with the gospel. You know, as I said, the title is A Peculiar People. You know, we are the people of God. And therefore, we are, in a sense, a peculiar people. And when I mean peculiar, I mean unique. Uh, although peculiar can be odd, and we are odd in a certain in a certain way. You know, we look around, and we are not um, like everybody else. So, in a sense, you know, we pray to a God we cannot see. We sing to a God we cannot see. We trust in a God we cannot see. So, to many people who don't know Him, it is a bit odd. It is a bit strange that we gather, that we worship, uh, that we exalt Him, and that we trust Him. So in a sense, that is true. You know, Peter's words are refreshing, uh, th this truth, when he says, but you are. You know, this refreshing truth is like ice-cold water on a hot, dry afternoon. You know, after what he had just said, he says, but you, speaking of present tense, he says, you are. You know, though previous verses, he said, though some stumble, it is true that some will reject Christ, though some have chosen the world and its glitter over the risen Christ and his glory. That is true. He goes, but he tells the church, the dispersed saints that were being persecuted, but you are not like that. You, you know, you are God's people. He goes, he uses these phrase, these words, a chosen race, a chosen generation, we can say, or a chosen people, a chosen family, whichever words fit, fit you best. You know, those who would believe, as he's trying to categorize, you know, you are those who would choose God and his glory instead of the world and its glitter. Those who would follow him wholeheartedly. Those who would live for the will of God and not their own. You know, he says, you are a group of living stones, a redeemed people, saints and sinners at the same time. You know, what, what have we been chosen for? That's an important thing because a lot of times we, we read these things, you know, we say we're chosen people, and, 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 but we don't really understand this. And through scripture, uh, we can see a couple things, and I'm only going to mention a few. You know, we have been chosen for holiness, you know, as in Ephesians 1, 4, it says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be a holy and blameless before him. We have been chosen to be separate from the world. We have been chosen to live for God. What's another thing? We have been chosen to imitate Christ. That's another thing we see in scripture. This, this peculiar people, what makes us unique is that we are imitators of Jesus Christ. That's why they were first called Christians, because they were following this man named Christ, right? They were following this person who said he was the son of God, the Messiah, you know, and therefore the, the name Christian wasn't necessarily a good thing back then. You know, it was a form of, of degrading the people saying, oh, those are the Christians. Those are the, you know, in other words, like the hallelujahs or those are the, the people of the book, the people of the way. You know, it, it, so it wasn't a, a compliment for people to say, oh, you're a Christian. Um, you know, so we have been chosen to imitate Christ. You know, in Colossians, uh, you know, Paul tells the, the church, those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are all the things, and these are attributes that we find in God, that we find in Christ. We also have been chosen to magnify Christ. We have been chosen to magnify the person of Jesus Christ, the work of Christ. We have been chosen to magnify the Holy Trinity, as we were seeing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, but God has chosen, remember this, the foolish things of the world, all right? Remember, you know, to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not 
so that he may nullify the things that are. You know, he has chosen the worst of the worst to magnify the beauty of Christ. He has chosen us. You know, we have nothing to boast about except that we know Jesus Christ. You know, we have no room for conceitedness, no room to think that we're any more special than anybody else. You know, it's, it's just by the grace of God. That's all it is. It's by the grace of God. You know, we have been chosen for obedience. You know, throughout Scripture, that is a word that comes out and out and out. The choices we make must be in line with obedience to Christ. We have been chosen to obey Jesus Christ. As we, as we um, last week, we saw the text from 1 Samuel, you know, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. You know, it is better to give God your full allegiance than it is to just give him your gifts. It is better to give God your full life than it is just to give him pretty words. It is better to give him a real, authentic relationship than just religiosity. You know, he wants obedience, and we've been chosen to be witnesses. Witnesses of what? Of what God has done in our lives and what God has done as we read in the scriptures. You know, Peter is telling the, the dispersed saints, keep in mind, the audience... They were dispersed. The church was scattered abroad. And he's reminding them, he's encouraging them, saying, but you are not like them. You are a chosen race. You've been chosen for holiness, to live different, to magnify Christ. You are a peculiar people, a distinct, unique community of faith. You know, those who belong to God, each one created in the image of God. You know, yet we're different from one another. Yes, we were created in the image of God, but each and every one of us are completely different. And that is how we serve the church. That is how we serve the world. The fact that we are different is a strength for the church. We are not called for uniformity. We're called to unity. You know, we're not all called to look alike, to dress alike, to speak alike. No, we're called to imitate Christ. We're called to be different. You know, God created us completely different. We think different. Uh, we we, uh, we envision things different, and we're to do this for the glory of God. You know, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Again, Peter is echoing Old Testament phrases, nouns, you know, heavily packed from the Old Testament. All these words, you know, it's echoing from, from all the Old Testament literature. And so to us, again, it doesn't mean a whole lot because we don't live in that context. So we have to understand these things. You know, he's echoing words. You know, these nouns mean something. That you are a chosen people. That you are a royal priesthood. That you are a holy nation. It meant something huge. It wasn't a little thing. You know, in verse 5, he says, he said, you know, in verse 5, he mentions a, a, a holy priesthood. In verse 9, he mentions a royal priesthood. You know, Peter signals... Again, to the privileges of our individual priesthood of all believers. Now in Jesus Christ, you know, we don't need the priests. You know, we, we have people who serve God, but now, you know, we have an individual privilege and responsibility as each believer because we are temples and vessels of the Holy Spirit. You know, in one way or another, every believer is now a minister of God. In one way or another, we are called to minister because ministry means service. We're all called to serve in one way or another. We are to render service to God through our lives. Now we are the royal priesthood. Through our daily lives, we, we, we render this service, this priestly service. You know, we are channels by being this royal priesthood. You know, we are channels and vessels of the gospel of Christ. You know, that is why individually 
each one of you must know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. You know, the fact that you're a royal priesthood ought to make us think. That the fact that we're chosen people ought to make us think that we are to live different. We ought to not look like the world. You know, in 2 Timothy uh, 2.21, uh, Paul says these words alluding to something like this. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself... From these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and useful to the master, prepared for every good work. You know, he says, if you cleanse yourself from worldliness, from filth, from the things that are not going to allow you to move forward, you know, you will be a vessel for honor. You know, we're all vessels, but not all, we're not all vessels of honor. You know, he says, cleanse yourself from these things and be sanctified so you can be useful, so we can be these royal priesthoods, you know, so we can represent Christ. You know, he goes, so you can be useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And that's why we were saved. You know, we were saved by the grace of God. You know, you know, we were saved to be zealous for good works, you know, to make God known by the way we live our lives. You know, we are not chosen and given a spiritual royal priesthood to disappear into a monastery and live alone and secluded. You know, that's not going to make us more holy, the fact that we go far away from everybody else. And, you no, know, because sin is sin and sin dwells, you know, within us, though not on us. You know, in the New Testament, all these terms and words and titles that we read, you know, are in a sense, you know, revolutionized in and through the life of Christ. You know, when, when people, uh, when they thought of a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, Jesus Christ revolutionized this. You know, the disciples were all ordinary people who believed the gospel, and the early Christian creed was, Jesus is Lord. You know, that was the creed. That was what they stood on. You know, we have received the power, you know, when the Holy Spirit took, uh, you know, full residence in us or within us, and he gave us power to be witnesses not cultural elites. Understand this. This royal priesthood doesn't, doesn't equate to cultural elites or, or, or celebrity Christianity. It equates to being a people of God, to be witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be bold when needed to be bold, and to stand for truth when no one else does. You know, this royal priesthood is to take God and his word into the whole world. And into the world that we live in and that we move in. That, that, that's what this priesthood is about. It's not about a, a, just a, 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 a priestly duty that we do once in a while. No. Now we are the priesthood in, in, uh, in our day-to-day -day lives. You know, you know, we take the gospel now into the family, into the workplace, into the marketplace. You know, it's a, it, it was revolutionized in the, in the New Testament. You know, th this royal priesthood. Now we can say that our priestly garments, you know, are the righteousness of Christ. You know, our, our garments is being clothed in the humility of Christ. You know, not so much in the exterior things that would identify a priest but it's more of the in the inner man now you know we are completely revolutionized and we are clothed in christ you know our priestly uh, uh our priest duties have to do with our whole lives you know that we are we are supposed to be these living sacrifices of worship to god you know we have been entrusted uh you know with the ministry of reconciliation to help to serve to point people to Christ and not ourselves. You know, th this royal priesthood is that people will look at him and not us. You know, in the Old Testament, 
It's important to note this. In the Old Testament, when we look at this, all the people understood what a priest was. Like, you don't, even if you were a rebellious uh, person, even if you were not of, of the fold of Israel, you knew what a priest was. Uh, they were identified by where they, where they worked, obviously, by how they dressed, by how they lived. So everybody knew. It's kind of like if you see a monk. You don't really have to know too much about church history or any sort of uh, religious history. You kind of know, oh, that guy's a monk. You know, and you kind of figure that person is, can't do this, can't do that. And so people knew this. You know, they understood what the priests were. They were servants of God and of God's people. They got it. You know, even though they didn't believe all of them, but they understood that guy is a priest. You know, by the way he lives, by the way uh, he carries himself, by the way, by what he does for a living. You know, there was no question about this. It was clear. Everybody knew what a priest was. Well, may, may people in the same way, you know, know that of us, that we are the royal priesthood, that we are the servants of God by the way we live, by the way we conduct ourselves, by the way we move in the world. It's the same thing. You know, may people know that of us, not because we wear a clerical collar or because we wear a gown or because, no, may they know that because we're clothed in Christ, because we love neighbor because we love our enemies, because we bless those who curse us, because we are not like the world. And that was the identif that's why I identified the priests, that they didn't live like them. And, and therefore, they, they, people understood them as holy people. And the standard for them was set high. Everybody that saw a priest, the standard was high. You know, the priest couldn't live like them because he had to be an example to the people. In the same way for us, we must be an example. We, the, the people must see Jesus somehow and they have to see him through our lives you know we've been empowered with the holy spirit something they didn't have you know they, they they in the old testament they didn't have that privilege only a certain few have that privilege we have been indwelt by the person of the holy spirit you know he empowers our lives he cleanses us he gives us the strength to move forward you know we've been commissioned to go and make disciples you know, back then the people, you know, would go to the priests, you know, and the priests wouldn't live and move among the people. Keep this in mind. The, back then the people would go to the priests. And what revolutionized in the New Testament is now the people, now we go to the people. Now the church goes to the people. Now we live and move among the people. That's a completely different thing. That's, you know, a lot of people, even nowadays, when they think of a holy person, in their mind, there comes a, maybe a minister, maybe a priest, maybe a rabbi, maybe a religious figure by the way he looks, by the way he speaks, maybe by the way where he works works is certain things but in 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 the new testament that's not necessarily what we see the people of god are the holy nation the people of god are called to live like christ ordinary men and women are called to live and imitate jesus christ and impact the world that they live by the way that they conduct themselves by the way they speak and by preaching the full gospel of jesus christ that he's been resurrected from the dead you know, that's the, that's the huge difference of this royal priesthood. You know, again, it's not to make us elites, but it's to make us witnesses of Jesus Christ. You know, we shouldn't get entangled and distracted with the affairs of everyday life as the priests wouldn't back then. The priests wouldn't be distracted. And if they did, they wouldn't be able to fulfill their, their priestly duties. They had to be focused and not be distracted by the affairs or entangled in the affairs of everyday life. You know, in Romans chapter 10, there's these words uh, that help us understand this of our responsibility. In, in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, 
uh, Paul speaking to church, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him you know, in whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news and of good things. And we are those. How will the people know unless we tell them about Jesus Christ? How will they hear, right, unless we speak, unless we go? You know, and in the New Testament, we see this, that the people of God, they moved among everybody else. That's why Jesus says, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. You know, I pray that you keep them from the evil one. You know, he does, he, when Jesus ascended back, he didn't say, okay, Christians, you're going to live in a bubble, and you're just going to, you know, live in this Christian bubble, and, and the world's going to have to figure it out. No right we are called to be witnesses among the darkness we are light in the midst of the darkness that's why he says you are a chosen race a chosen generation a chosen family you know a royal priesthood you know a holy nation throughout this holy epistle you know Peter in one way or another is exhorting the church to not be like the world that's that we see this plain and simple. He, he, he magnifies salvation and what, the, what it means. And he also magnifies what the responsibilities are. That, that we not be like the world. You know, if we're going to impact, we must live a certain way. You know, our goal is not to impress the world, but it is to impact it by a true Christianity. You know, by being set apart from wickedness, rebellion, lies, deceit, and anything that separates us from God. You know, our goal ought to be to pursue God, to look more like him. Yes, we fail. Yes, we stumble. Yes, we, we have a lot of work to do. But we are on the pursuit to know God day to day. You know, we should, as Christians, we should be on the pursuit of truth. You know, I've told you guys this many times. We should pursue truth in every category of life. Everything. We should be interested in truth. You know, and that, you know, that ought to be a hunger that we have within us. That we pursue what is true, what is wise, what is pure, what is lovely, what is honorable, what is of a good repute. We should pursue these things. You know, in, in Deuteronomy 28, 9, uh, you know, when uh, this has always been God's will. We see this through all Old Testament. I'm going to give you just a few quotations. You know, to have a people for himself. That's what God wants. You know, he wants a people for himself that worship him, that love him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know, in Deuteronomy 28.9, you know, the Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself as he swore to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. You know, in Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice, you know, keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples for of all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. You know, this is what he's always wanted, a people for God's own possession. That's what he wants, and that's what the church is. We are the bride of Christ. You know, that's why when Peter brings out these words, he says, but you are, right? Present tense. Not just you are, later on the verse it says, so that you may. He said, this is the important words here, important phrases. You are this so that you may live like this. You've been called out of this, so you may live for this. We see this in Scripture continuously. It's kind of like this. If you remove one bad habit, if you don't replace it with a good habit, you're going to soon go back to that bad habit, right? And so and the same goes. You know, we've been saved from all this, 
but it's not just good enough to be saved. We must know what we're saved for. You know, we must, we must live for something greater than ourselves. If not, we're going to go back to our old ways. And that's what happens many times when people backslide. You know, they don't replace what, they, what, what they've left behind with Christ. They don't replace it with a spiritual growth. You know, everything he does has a purpose. You know, when he says, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, light and darkness are always used as metaphors to convey a message. We see this throughout all scripture, from Genesis all the way to, um, to Revelation. Light and darkness, we don't even have to understand the Bible in depth. We just know light represents goodness and God. Darkness represents wickedness and Satan. It's just, uh, even you don't even have to believe in God. And you just, and this comes to you. You know, there, there's, and, and in the scriptures, you know, these, these metaphors are, are to convey a message that there's two ways of living. Not three, there's two ways. You know, that there's two paths of life. Not three, but two paths of life. That there's two worlds. Not three, that there's two. And there's two kingdoms. Not three, but two. That there's righteousness and there's wickedness. You know, in Colossians 1.13, you know, Paul speaks of this and he says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. It is Christ and the work of God in us believing upon him that rescued us from something and transferred us somewhere else. You know, an atheist once said this, and I'm paraphrasing him, uh, but he said this and it made a lot of sense. You know, he was being honest, um, and uh, which is not always the case when you hear these guys. But he said these words, and it really, um, it really stuck to me. Uh, he said this. Um, he said, uh, if the Bible is really the word of God, and God exists, then this is the most important message that needs to get out to the, to the whole world. He said, if you really believe as a Christian, he was talking to a Christian, that the word of God is the word of God, therefore God exists. And if that is true, then there is a hell. If that is true, then there is a heaven. If that is true, there will be a resurrection of the dead. You know, then it is the most important message that needs to get out to the whole world. An atheist said this. And I said, that is, that is very true. You know, if we truly believe that God is who he said he is, and that he lives forevermore, and that he didn't just die for your sins, but he rose from the dead. You know, if we believe that this is the inerrant, infallible word of God, God breathed to us, then this is the most important message. You know, as God's people, we must proclaim Christ. We must. There's no greater message. Who cares about, about, you know, about other nice stories, uh, you know, that may inspire you for a moment, beautiful, um, beautiful metaphors, beautiful uh, quotes. All those things may be enriching at times, but we need the core. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. We proclaim him. How? In word and in deed. We don't just proclaim him by how we speak, but how we live. Not just how we live, but how we speak. Right? We proclaim Christ in word and deed. We must love, as, for, as, as um, it says in 1 John, in word and in deed. Everything we do is in word and and indeed, and that was a problem with the religious folks to remind you in, in you know, when, when Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, what was the problem? The hypocrisy, because they spoke it and they taught it, but they didn't live it. And that's an issue. You know, and Jesus Christ says, just do what they say, but don't do as they do. I mean, they got the message right. 
but not the lifestyle. And Christianity is all about lifestyle. You know, if, if Jesus really did come, you know, and live and be crucified, die and raised from the dead, that ought to impact our lifestyle. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, you know, finishing off, he says, for you were formerly darkness. This was us. You know, Paul telling the Ephesians, you were formerly of this darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And then he says, walk as children of light. You know, you once were of this, but now you're this. Therefore, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in our goodness and righteousness and truth. You know, the fact that we've been redeemed from darkness ought to make us think that we should not be walking in darkness. It ought to make us evaluate, am I walking as a child of the light or as of darkness? That's what we have to individually answer day to day. Not just weekly, but day to day, literally. You know, we live to make Christ known. You know, when we come to understand and believe what is being preached today, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know, we come to understand this, that for not one of us lives for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. Whether we live or we die, we belong to the risen Savior. You know, as the chosen people, as the royal priesthood, as the holy nation, we are the mouthpiece of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are those who point not to ourselves, but to Jesus Christ. We're one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread of life. You know, for he alone is the only one that can satisfy the soul of man. You know, for he is the first and he is the last. He is the alpha and he is the omega. He is the faithful witness. He is the amen. He is the living one. He died and rose and will be alive forevermore, it says in Revelation. And he has the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, he is Christ the Lord, and it is our duty to worship him and proclaim him with our lives. Let me finish off with this uh, reading from, um, from the Puritans. Um, it's on the resurrection and uh, written many years ago, and I thought it'd be fitting for today, and we'll pray out. It's called Resurrection. O God of my exodus, great was the joy of Israel's sons when Egypt died upon the shore. Far greater the joy when the Redeemer's foe lay crushed in the dust. Jesus strides forth as the victor, conqueror of death, hell and all opposing might. He bursts the bands of death, tramples the powers of darkness down, and lives forever. He, my gracious surety, apprehended for payment of my debt comes forth from the prison house of the grave, free and triumphant over sin, Satan, and death. Show me herein the proof that his vicarious offering is accepted, that the claims of justice are satisfied, that the devil's scepter is shivered, that the wrongful throne is leveled. Give me the assurance that in Christ I died, in him I rose, in his life I live, in his victory I triumph, in his ascension I shall be glorified. Adorable Redeemer, Thou who was lifted up upon a cross art ascended to the highest heaven now. Thou who was a man of sorrows was crowned with thorns art now as Lord of life wreathed with glory. Once no shame more deep than thine, no agony more bitter, no death more cruel. Now no exaltation more high, no life more glorious, no advocate more effective. Thou art in triumph, car leading captive thine enemies behind thee. 
Thou, what more could be done than thou hast done? Thy death is my life, thy resurrection my peace, thy ascension my hope, and thy prayers my comfort. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne again, Lord, thanking you, God, for your word, for the richness of your word, God, for the spirit that dwells within us, that speaks to us, that, me that allows us to meditate upon your word, and that we can receive your word with humble hearts. I pray that as we close out uh, this time of teaching, God, that you will speak into our lives, God, that the word of the living God that we just read will resonate in our lives, God, will, will echo in the chambers of our minds and our hearts throughout this day. That we are this people that you have chosen to live for you. Not to think we're better, but to know who we are and that we depend upon you. That we are this royal priesthood. That we live amongst a people who don't know you. And we ought to represent you with royalty from on high. Also, Lord, that we are to be a holy nation. I pray that you will sanctify us, God, in our day-to-day -day struggles as the world, God, you know, attracts us, Lord, as the world shows us glamour, glitter, God, as the world shows us a good time. I pray that you will give us discernment, God, on the things that we ought to do and the things that we ought to not do, God. I pray that you give us wisdom, discernment, knowledge, and understanding day-to-day -day in our lives that each and every one of us, God, can be this royal priesthood, this holy nation, a people for you. I pray as we leave, God, that you, God, will be the theme of our day, God, the theme of our mind, the theme of our meditation, the theme of our conversation, that as we speak to others, God, that you will come out in that conversation, that we will make you known the excellencies, the virtues of Christ the Lord, the risen Savior. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.